Gracious God, as we come into your presence this morning, we ask you open us up to the power of your spirit in your presence. Help us to conspire to do something different this season. Help us to dig deeper into the real truths of what Christmas is and what it means to celebrate your birth. Challenge us, convict us, and guide us in directions we haven't gone before. And may the words that I say be acceptable and pleasing to you. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask these things together. And the people of God said, Amen. You can follow along in your Bible app. I do have all those notes in there. If you want to follow along a new version or even later on, you can go home and you can click on links and get to that stuff still. I have it set up so it lasts longer than it used to. And you might notice in your bulletin this morning that there is this handout that is about event conspiracy, which we're doing over the next uh, four weeks. And in it, it has a list of all the scriptures, starting with today, that if you want a simple way to be able to these each day. And on the back of it, there are the four weeks of exactly what we're going to be focusing on, which are basically a little devotional for each Sunday, uh, as far as a weekly devotional. And there are some daily devotionals, and I will try to get those out mostly. But as I get closer to December 7th, there may be a little bit of holes there. And we might pick back up after that. Um, but there are some daily devotionals to be coming out too. And there's also a book. This is all. If you go to ambaconspiracy.org, you'll see there's a book. I'd hope to have all the books for you, but everything, of course, went south. And so we're going to just take it through the way we can. But if you want to pick the book up, it's a great book. And there's great stuff on the website um, about Advent Conspiracy. So this week we start Advent Conspiracy. Advent Conspiracy was founded on the radical idea that we can celebrate Christmas humbly, beautifully, and generously. Advent is the story of a wondrous moment when God entered our world to make things right. It is the greatest story ever told, and it changes everything, including the way we celebrate Christmas. Be part of a different story this Christmas. One that celebrates our King and brings hope to a watching world. This is what it's all about.
So this morning, I want you to conspire with me to turn Christmas upside down this year and do this season differently. You may not know it, but that's all the rage nowadays, decorating a Christmas tree and upside down, hanging it from the ceiling and letting it hang down. Sort of like our little guys right here that hang down right there. That's all over the Internet. How that might look for your life is up to you. But we're going to give you some ideas in the next four weeks. And even as I say this, I know that some of you are already out of the gate already to the race to Christmas with all its activities, shopping traditions, and you're already fully decorated. And that's okay and all those things. But there's a fight now for our hearts that happens even as it begins on Gray Thursday because it really isn't a Black Friday anymore. With the big box retailers opening up on Thanksgiving Day over the last decade and more in hopes of getting us in sooner for the great Christmas shopping buys even before the turkey comes out of the oven now. And it's become a tradition in many families. They make shirts up, and once something becomes a tradition, it's hard to break, and that's what the retailers want from us, to make sure that it's something we have to do in order to feel good and to enjoy life. And so they might be asking, PJ, what is the problem with all of this? What, I mean, what's the problem? I mean, is it, it's not hurting anyone for me to get the best deal possible, is it? I mean, first of all, you're not getting the best deal because all Black Friday means is it's about 5% cheaper than they're going to sell it to you the weekend before Christmas. It just make you feel that it really is. And it's not really hurting anybody to, to have to have everybody work on Thursdays like our own Joy Cunningham at Target for 21 years who didn't get to celebrate Thanksgiving pretty much or won't celebrate anything over this whole weekend. It'll be a blur to her. That's what they get paid for. Well, they don't really get paid for it because if they take a day off, they don't get paid at all. So it's not really hurting anybody to get the best deal and to go out there and to sit out there at 3 a.m. in the morning and, and to get something and to feel good about that toaster that was $19. Here's the question, though. The question I always ask when it comes to things like this, especially like other things like when I see three-year-olds in R-rated movies and I sit there and, and their parents are just kind of like, well, this is not hurting. They don't care. They're not hurting anything. The question I ask is this. Is it helping? Is it helping anybody? Is it making a positive difference, not a neutral one or a negative one? But is it really helping anyone? Or does it lead to things that are like this? When did Black Friday become Black-Eyed Friday? When did headbusters instead of doorbusters become everything? It's funny, but it's a little too true, too. You do know where that video was shot, right? In Hendersonville, Tennessee at the Walmart. We made the national news this year, folks. We're the one that everybody showed across the country. Is that really what we want to be? 
This year, Americans spent $7.4 billion online on Black Friday and $4.2 billion online on Thanksgiving Day. And believe me, I'm part of that too. I mean, it's not like, you know, I got all the sale flyers on Thanksgiving, got them all out, you know, the monster paper that weighs five pounds now, and you pull it out and look at everything and, and go through it. The Belk flyer was this thick. I didn't even open it up because I like Belk. But I was just overwhelmed by the amount of things. The Lowe's flyer had 50 different drills in it. And if someone tells me they're all different, I'm like, you don't need 50 different drills. Maybe they are all different. Then send it to the pros and they can take care of that. But this has become our way of life. It's what we do. And the American-style season of like this doesn't happen around the world the same way. The American-style season starts earlier and earlier and earlier every year because as long as it makes money, then that's what's going to happen. So that before Halloween's even over, you're going to see the decorations out for Christmas and the things on the shelf. And I wanted to be the first to get you into the real story of Christmas, even though I know that we've kind of a week too late to do that. Maybe we can still reclaim Christmas. Maybe it's not too late to actually be able to have four weeks to be able to actually reclaim Christmas. For some years, I've been wondering what benefits there are for starting the holiday season earlier. Does a longer season help us keep Christ at the center of it? Do we experience a more soulful celebration of Jesus' birth by starting all the activities sooner? Or does the length and the intensity of the season wear us out, cause necessary stress and burnout so that many people find the biggest joy of Christmas is just to wake up and find out that it's December 26th? So this year, I want us to get the biblical story into us somewhat first. And for good reason. I want the heart and soul of Christmas to be at the top of your list. Influencing all the things you do and choices you make over the next five weeks. Because Christmas is actually longer than December 25th. There are 12 days after that that the church celebrates. So here we are together as a Christian community. And the followers who first brought attention to the birth of Jesus. And were forced by American commercialism of Christmas to get into the season even before it's Thanksgiving. I don't know where you went on Black Friday, but our first stops are usually Lifeway and St. Mary's. I know they're really popular places to be. The fight was awful for that Jesus stuff. We also went to World Market, though, another place that we missed having in Hendersonville. Went there, and all I wanted was spiced ginger beer. That's all I wanted, which is just ginger ale. Spiced ginger beer. That's all I wanted. Susan went and asked the person about it, They are sold out for the season before it's even the start of Christmas. I would have had to buy it at the beginning of November to be able to have the ginger spiced beer. It's crazy. They had to beat somebody out before I'm I'm taking my Halloween costume off to be able to celebrate something. I better get the eggnog now because it's been out since September and it's probably going to be gone before we even get to Christmas. What do we do with that? How do we live that? I want to conspire with you in hopes that Christmas brings something better to your soul. Your relationship with God and your celebration of the season. This conspiracy is to encourage you to substitute consumption with compassion and put center stage the true meaning of Christmas before you start the season fully. 
Then by the time Christmas Eve arrives, you'll have experienced more than a pile of presents under the tree and great bargain buys and crammed calendars and less than merry attitudes about time ahead with your relatives. And then after the world forgets about Christmas, you can keep celebrating all the way to Epiphany when they don't care anymore to sell you anything. Now here's what you do in the Advent conspiracy. You keep the story of Jesus' birth first and substitute consumption with compassion by practicing four simple but powerful countercultural concepts. Worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. Say those with me. Worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. Anybody fan to Charlie Brown in here? Anybody like Charlie Brown? Raise your hands. All right, second question. Be honest. Have you already watched Charlie Brown Christmas? Raise your hand if you've already watched Charlie Brown Christmas. Anybody watched it yet? No, 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 no. Nobody in both services has watched Charlie Brown Christmas yet. I love all of you. That is awesome. Now you can do it. December 1st, it's Advent. Go for it. Go nuts. Take all your Christmas stuff out, all your movies, everything. But in it, Charlie is shopping for a tree and finding himself dismayed at all the fake trees. I love the fact that 50, 60 years later, it is still as relevant today as it was in the time when they were filming it in the 60s. The same battle continues. And finally, he spots the only real tree in the lot and he buys it. Remember what it looks like. And when his friends see him with this tree... Charlie is ridiculed and called all kinds of names. The dumbest tree I've ever seen, Charlie Brown. In a moment of exasperation, he asks a question we would do well to ask ourselves every day over the next five weeks. He asks, Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And one of the most famous and poignant pieces, Linus shares the reason from Luke 2 for why any of us makes anything out of the season. He puts at center stage the profound hope of Christmas, which is this. The good news of God come to live with us. Amen? That's the hope of Christmas. And what would happen if instead of being caught up in all the shopping and the parties and preparations of the season, we put at center stage of our Christmas preparations the good news of God come to live with us. Emmanuel, that's what it means. What if for the next five weeks we entered the Christmas story as participants, not simply bystanders who hear the story on Christmas Eve after we've all worn out and we're sick of the music and the decorations and the shopping? What if in our personal preparations for Christmas we said no to the commercialized American version and said yes to the more God and more Jesus preparations? Here's what I think would happen. We would understand a God-centered Christmas more deeply and richly. And it would lead us to worship more fully and to spend less and to give more and to love all. And since worshiping fully is the starting point of this Advent conspiracy, let's take a fresh look at some of key players in this true story of Christmas. I'm sorry, Santa and Rudolph and Ralphie and Scrooge and George Bailey and Clark and even Elf, all of which I love. They have to take a back seat to the real players in this story and the real Christmas story we're focusing on this year. 
The Bible shows us wonderfully how certain people found their hearts and souls shaped by God and then how in turn they responded worshipfully. So we're going to look at six key players to see how the profound good news from God took center stage in their life. And after each one, I'm going to pose a question for you to consider for your own life. And I'm hoping you'll choose at least two attributes from these people to model your Christmas preparations on. They're quick. First, Mary offered, Luke 138. Chosen to be the mother of Jesus, Mary was a teenage girl engaged to a carpenter named Joseph. And I love how God uses nobodies to do something great. And when the angel Gabriel appeared to her to tell her that she would become pregnant and give birth to Jesus, she was troubled and afraid like any of us would be. But Mary responded with words of offering. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Mary shows us that worship leads us to let go of our own agendas and offer ourselves to be agents of God's purposes in human life. She asked this question, this Christmas, what agenda do you need to let go of to offer yourself in service to God? What idealized picture do you have of what's supposed to look like or what you're supposed to do or who you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to get? Second, John jumped. Luke 144, Mary's cousin Elizabeth was pregnant about the same time and she gave birth to John, who came, we come to know as John the Baptist. When Mary arrived and greeted her pregnant cousin, Elizabeth got a kick. And she said to Mary, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. There's something about being in the presence of Jesus that should cause us to jump for joy, shouldn't there? That's the way it should be. John shows us that worship can lead to joyfulness. And so the question that he asks is, what's holding you back from jumping with joy just to be in the presence of Jesus? And believe me, I feel that right now. It's hard. But joy is not based on circumstances. That's happiness. It's based upon God, no matter what happens to us. Third, Joseph obeyed. Matthew 1, 21 through 24. Joseph had a problem. His fiancée Mary is pregnant. The baby isn't his. That's a big problem. Most of us would say, see you later. And though he could have flipped out and exposed Mary to public shame and punishment, his plan was to end things quietly. That's when an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and tells him not to break his engagement. And he's told that Mary's baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit and he should name the baby Jesus, which means What? No one in the first circuit is going to answer this. What does the name Jesus mean? Please don't tell me you worship Jesus and you follow Jesus and you have no idea what his name means. No. Well, sort of. He who saves from sins. It's his actual name. It's on the banner out there, by the way, too. And so... Joseph amazes me for his obedience. The Bible tells us when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary as his wife. Joseph reminds us that the call of God isn't necessarily easy or conventional or convenient or rational, but it's always right. And God will always give you the courage to follow if you're willing to obey. Amen? And Joseph reminds us that worship leads to obedience. 
And his question is, how might all the activities and spending and choices you make this holiday season better obey God's purposes in life? Fourth, angels adored, Luke 2, 13 through 14. The angels have a major role in the story of Jesus' birth. They're the ones who give the good news of great joy to the shepherds. And right after that announcement, we read this. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. And the angels explode with praise as they contemplate how peace will now be given to people who were fearful about trusting in the goodness of God amidst the troubles of his life. Worship brings peace through confidence in God's faithfulness. Some thought that I wouldn't preach today or I wouldn't be here. Why would I not? Gathering together as a community and worshiping energizes me when we come together. Next Sunday, I won't. That'll be the day after. I know better than that. But right now, this is where we need to be on the first Sunday of Advent, starting this whole thing together. The question is, how might worship bring peace to the areas of your life that are in disarray? Fifth, shepherds move with haste. The shepherds lived out the outskirts of town and they were shunned by most people. They were the third shift workers. They were the ones at the Waffle House at 3 a.m., They're the first people to get the news from the angels. But don't miss this. God loves the overlooked. Choosing them to be the first to hear the good news of Jesus' birth. We read in Luke 2.15 that they are very eager to see him. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. These guys are on the fringe of society who are used to slowly walking. Why? Because sheep don't move fast. So you can't beat the sheep. You've got to walk with them. And in verse 16, though, it says this. So they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And then after seeing Jesus, verse 17 tells us that when they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. Worship changed these guys into eager believers and tellers of the good news. The question they give us is, what will the haste in your Christmas preparations tell and show others? When you're so busy, you can't stop to do anything else. When you've planned so much and have so many things to go to. When you're irritated like I get when I get busy and I need to get things done. Which everybody here can tell you is the truth. If I'm hasty about something, I'm not much good to anybody. I'm so focused on getting the thing done. Not people around. Six wise men bowed, Matthew, I mean six, the wise men bowed in Matthew 2.11. As the Christmas story ends, we read about some highly educated men who studied the stars for signs and noticed a new star, which was understood to announce the birth of a Savior. And when they finally find Jesus, we know they gave expensive gifts to him. But what did they do first? What did the wise men do first before they gave their gifts to Jesus? It's not rhetorical. What did they do? They they bowed. Before they ever opened a gift, before they ever did anything else, on coming to the house, not a cave, not a stable, they saw the child, not a baby, probably two years old, 
with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. Then, to bow is a sign of submission, a gesture of respect. These noble men bowed to Jesus to acknowledge his holiness. So the first gift they gave to God was their worship. In our Christmas preparations, God is more interested in our bowing more than the bows that we place on our gifts. Why do we think that we honor him in any way by buying presents for each other when it's his birthday? It makes little sense. If you gave somebody else a gift on my birthday, I wouldn't be very happy with you. Like, oh, look, I'm going to give uh, Robert your present, and instead of you're going to have it. Robert and I would be very much very good friends at that point anymore. That wouldn't, or the other way around, the same way. It would not work either. So why is it? You see, coming into the presence of God and bowing to the holiness born for us is to worship fully. And the question, how will you bow to God this holiday season and not to the commercialization of Christmas? How will your gift giving reveal to others you honor and worship God? Let me tell you, folks, the $19 toaster or the 55-inch flat screen you got a great deal on says nothing about your faith whatsoever about who you serve. Great deals. If you need a toaster, that's really good. But they don't say anything about our faith. When we keep the profound good news of God's center stage, we will worship Christ more fully this Christmas. So to close, step one in the Advent conspiracy is to worship fully. Choose today to take on two of the worshipful attributes you've heard in these key players of Christmas. Mary who offered, John who jumped, Joseph who obeyed, the angels who adored, the shepherds who hurried to tell, or the wise men who bowed. Turn this Christmas upside down. Find ways to be able to live into these things and to find that presence. Not under the tree or what you got in that great deal, but the presence of Christ in here. It then enables you to want to give the presence of Christ out there. You've got to have it in here first before you want to give it out there. And the great thing about that is the world is geared to do that right now. For four weeks, they actually care about each other. And they want to do something different and make a difference. So join them. But go a little further than they go. Don't buy the Toys for Tot toy for yourself and for them. You know, just give two Toys for Tots instead of one for you. Don't buy the flat screen and buy yourself the flat screen too. Think of others first. Amen. This is truly the presence of Christ. This is the present he gives to us to remind us that he has come for us and given his life for us in sacrifice and in love to bring us hope and peace and joy. The ultimate gift was paid for at a huge price on Black Friday. It wasn't the Black Friday you found at Best Buy or the mall or anywhere else. It was a Black Friday in which Jesus gave up his life for us in his full blood for an atonement for our brokenness and our sins and to give us a new start. And the greatest doorbuster that ever happened 
was not getting that big deal on the flat screen apparently they're fighting over in Hendersonville. By the way, look at that video again sometime and see the faces of the Walmart workers and the police officers and everybody else is having to deal with that. And ask yourself, is that really what you want them to have to be dealing with in this world? The biggest doorbuster was when the tomb was opened wide and he came out and gave us a new life. Amen? That's the story I'm remembering now. Let us pray over these elements as those come forward to serve. Gracious God, remember us. Thank you for your gift. We remember you. Pour now into this bread and this juice all that you have to offer us in reminder. Help us to live into a different way of seeing Christmas in your birth. Speak to us this season. Prepare the way for your coming. Amen. forward. Prepare the way in your hearts for his coming once again in our lives. Emmanuel, God is with us.
come together over one of the longest surviving hymns along with the coming, coming Emmanuel. John Wesley wrote this one. Sing with great gusto. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Folks, you aren't going to find that at your Christmas party. You're not going to find that in the stores. You're not going to find it across the street picking out your Christmas tree, even though you should. You're not going to find it anywhere else besides at the heart of the Christmas story, which is Luke 2. Jesus has come for us. Emmanuel. May God find you faithful, and may God find room in your hearts to be able to celebrate this Christmas season. And may you turn your Christmas upside down and conspire to be different. Amen.